Hey, Survivor fans, let's talk about a snack that would take that island by storm. Wonderful pistachios. Wonderful pistachios are the undisputed champions of proteins. They pack a punch, boasting six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. That's over 10% of your daily value. Talk about a powerhouse snack. And let's not forget the lineup. We're talking flavors galore. Sweet chili, salt and pepper, honey roasted. Wonderful pistachios is like a flavor festival for your taste buds. Perfect for tribal gatherings or on-the-go adventures. The no-shells option is a game changer. Just grab and go. It's that easy. So Survivor Squad, if you want to outwit, outplay, outsnack the competition, make Wonderful Pistachios your go-to snack. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Campfire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, and you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate, you're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount+. And it begins. This is how it starts, Brittany, right here. You hear a little music, maybe some rock guitar. There it is. All right, welcome to On Fire with Jeff Probst. That's me. This is the only podcast that takes you inside the making of Survivor from the people who make Survivor. I'm the host and showrunner of Survivor, and I'm joined by two other television producers, Brittany Crapper, supervising producer on Survivor. Hello. And Jay Wolf, who doesn't work on Survivor, but is an Emmy-nominated TV producer. He's also the producer of this podcast. Hello. So I feel like since this is our inaugural show that we are literally forming as we talk, we should explain the basic premise. Okay, so each week we'll use the latest episode of Survivor 44 as a jumping off point to take you behind the scenes how we make this show and equally important, why we do the things we do on the show. So you can think of it as a companion to our weekly episodes. You watch the episode, then listen to the podcast. All right, so today we're going to go inside the premiere of Survivor 44. We'll highlight a few key areas. We'll talk about how they came to be, why they were in the premiere. Then, obviously, the big story was the scary and heartbreaking evacuation of Bruce. I had a chance to talk with him. I can't hmm. wait to hear. Yeah, it's, it was really good to hear his voice. It's oh, all I good. I think people are going to enjoy hearing from someone who only played 12 hours. Then our featured topic this week, getting to day one. What does it take the months of pre-production in various departments to get us to that opening marooning where we then turn our entire show over to 18 strangers? And my goosebumps settle in. It really is. <laughs> it is kind of the most terrifying and therefore exhilarating part of this show is that you spend a year planning it and then you turn it over and say, what are they going to do with it? Plus, we'll answer some of your questions, and one lucky person gets to tell me why I suck, which I know, Brittany, I can see the look <laughs> on your face. You're surprised that there are people that think I'm not good for Survivor. Uh -huh. <laughs> we'll hear from them every week, and I'll either defend or agree. I can't wait. But before we get into this, I have a question. Yeah. Why are you doing this now? Like, why on season 44 are you deciding, okay, let's do a podcast? <laughs> yeah, 22 years in. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the story actually is that I got a courtesy call from Megan Marcus at CBS 
Paramount Global podcast saying, hey, just want to let you know, we're going to be doing a uh, Survivor podcast, uh, kind of a recap thing. We'll get a Sounds couple of Sounds just like her. <laughs> really good. <laughs> and so it was going to be a recap podcast show, which, which would be great. And then we started thinking, is there a bigger idea here? Could we use this as an opportunity to take fans, you know, behind the scenes so that they could understand why we make the show? Because I get so many questions. Why'd you do that? That was a weird idea. Or how do you do that? That seemed really cool. So that was really the idea is Survivor 44 is a fantastic season. So it's a perfect season to anchor something like this. First person I called was you, Brittany. And then I met Jay, and we had our team. So, all right, let's get into it. Survivor 44, I felt like got off to a blistering start. I mean, there, there's a dynamic group of players, which I will say, write it down. There are some second chance players in this season. That's new news. That's for sure. And then we had all these advantages, the two shots in the dark, an idol, four medical visits. It was packed. But Jay, I'm curious... What stood out from a game design point of view? What did you notice that was different? The first thing I noticed that was very different was the fact that there was a birdcage in the mm, middle of a camp. Yes. And inside of it was a package. Why did you put this in public? Well, it hits at the very heart of why any twist or advantage is in the game. And that's to force players to adapt. And then we get to see what they do. And that's the human behavior. And that's what it's all about. So this idea, which came from Jimmy Quigley, one of our co-EPs. And I got to say, Quigley is so vital to our show that no matter what title he had, it wouldn't do him justice. So he had this idea and he pitched it. And at first, I now have to catch up to him because he's already thought through it. So I start catching up to him. And then the central question becomes, public versus private. That's the big change is we're now saying to everybody, you all know there's a cage out there. The question is what's in it and how are you going to deal with it? Like think about the ways you could do this. You could say, Hey, we're a tribe. Here it is. Let's all agree that if we figure out how to get into it, we share it. And maybe we get to the merge and then maybe whoever's left has some power. That's a legitimate opening day thing is that we're a group that needs to work together. Another approach would be <laughs> you go to your new Alliance member and say, I found the key, run cover for me. I'll try to get in there and we'll have some power. Or the ultimate, what if somebody tries to go it alone and pulls off the impossible and in this very public setting, they're actually able to get it and have a secret. And there's no right answer. It's just that's why it's out there. It's the essence of Survivor watching people. And Brittany, as the supervising producer of this premiere, a huge job, you had a big decision to make regarding how do we introduce the cage to the audience? It almost felt mystical when you introduced it. I love what, hearing that. What were the choices that you made to, that sort of, goal. to sort of introduce it to the audience? I mean, what I wanted was the audience to feel everything that the players felt when they first saw it, right? So imagine you're in this game and you're walking up and seeing that cage and you're like, oh my goodness, what is this thing? What's going to happen? You're excited, but you're nervous and, you know, there's intrigue and mystery and all that. So I just wanted the audience to watch it and feel all those same things. It's a great question because taking the audience inside the scene is essential to them having an emotional reaction. So the next thing I want to talk about is the sweat challenge. Somehow, these two guys managed to pull all of those coconuts across the beach in exactly four hours, <laughs> uh, yes. which is how much time they had on the sand yeah. timer. Like maybe there was 12 little grains of sand left dripping down and they're finishing it right at the moment. How do you test that? How do you make sure that that's exactly the right amount of time for them to do well, that Well, you challenge? just said it. You test it. I mean, that's something that goes back to day one. 
is we test everything and we test it over and over. We test it as much time as we have. We use our time out there to test, modify, adapt, test, modify, adapt over and over. So that starts in the art department, which we're going to do a whole episode on the art department. But Brittany, you give your point of view on this, but it's kind of like you're at a music festival because <laughs> you've got people, our crew is massive and they're from 20 different countries and there's world music playing and there's hair and tattoos and dialects, right? Surfboards. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's fascinating. It's such an amazing smorgasbord of people and they're all, yeah, Exactly what Jeff said. And I've never brought somebody to location who was not intoxicated by the art department because it, it is an extension of the show in that it's your inner whatever. It's your inner artist, your inner adventurer, your inner everything, because you see expressions of, of, of individualism everywhere so totally in the art department you would see you would see two people dragging coconuts back and forth in the dirt and so we start testing it there and then ultimately you get it out to location where it's going to live and you decide where should we place it and how are we going to shoot it and when we shoot it are we going to see the tribe in the background or are we not going to see the tribe so all of those decisions come into play and then this connects back to Brittany. We have dream teamers who test it. And Brittany, if I can brag on her, started as a dream teamer, which is our entry-level position, and has now risen through the ranks. So you've done these tests. Oh, yeah. They're so much fun. It's the best. We, uh, when I, like Jeff said, I started on Dream Team and essentially what Dream Team does is it's, you have the same amount of Dream Teamers as you do contestants and they run the challenges for the first time, just like contestants would. Wow. And so, for example, like with the coconuts, I would show up on the beach. I'd know nothing because we want to know exactly what, how the contestants would react. So I'm seeing it for the first time and they're saying, okay, here you go. I read the note. I find out I got to pull these coconuts <laughs> and we start pulling coconuts and we go back and forth and, you know, say I finished in three hours. Then they're like, okay, not enough coconuts. We got to, we got to try again. And you just keep trying and trying until you get it right. And in this case, we got it right. And the difference between the sweat and savvy, the sweat is, it's achievable, but it's going to be hard and you're going to be separated from your tribe. So they might be grateful to you or they might be conspiring against you that's part of the game you could not do that and instead choose savvy but now it's your brain that's on trial and you get one guess so you better be right again it doesn't matter the reason it's in the show is to force behavior to force you to make a decision speaking of forcing people to make a decision i had one more question for you and that's about the journey that people are going on yeah. because that's new in the new era. Right. And we've seen it a couple of different iterations in which you had a choice. You could keep your vote or risk your vote. Now you get on the boat, you risk your vote. <laughs> right. Tell me about that decision. Well, you know, it's a good question because even five years ago, we wouldn't risk the vote ever because the vote is your one sacred thing. And then one day you wake up and go, oh, wait a minute, because it's sacred, that's why you have to risk it. So it's another evolution. And this is 22 years and 44 seasons in the making. But it was one of the fundamental building blocks of the new era was this is going to be a riskier game and a more dangerous game. And now you're seeing that, as you said, the minute you said yes to the journey, you didn't realize your vote was in peril. 
Mm. And now when you come back from the journey, you have another decision. Do I tell the truth? Do I lie? Do I have a vote? Do I have an advantage? And the more we do this, the more unpredictable it's going to be for players because now they're going to realize we don't really know what's happening on the journey. All right, but now we got to talk about medical. Biggest event of the premiere in our 44 seasons, we've had 16 people evacuated leading up to this, but we've never had four medical visits for three players in one episode. No, not even close. First of all, we do have a medical team out there, and I don't know if fans really understand that, but we have a full emergency team. We have doctors, paramedics, nurses. We have boats for transport. We have a helicopter for transport, and they're responsible for the players and our crew. Nobody's ever in danger in terms of we're always right there. So let's do the updates. Brandon is fine. Heat exhaustion, but he's okay. Now, Matthew remains to be seen. Uh, you know, he's fine to stay in the game, but the doctor was very clear. You cannot use this shoulder. Man, I was watching that scene with Matthew and I'm just shouting at the television. Don't do that. I cannot understand why someone goes out and is like, I'm going to go climb these rocks over here just because I'm trying to have an adventure. Because he's on Survivor. <laughs> he said, I don't want a midlife crisis. I want a midlife adventure. That's the kind of player we want. It really is. And why he climbed up there, who knows? We would never tell him not to. No. This we is don't interfere at all. The only thing that's happening, Jay, from our standpoint, is two of our drone operators, Granger and Barker, <laughs> are already in the air covering it because that's what we look for in this show is people seeking their adventure, and he's getting it. But I just don't know what he's out there looking for, <laughs> right? Like, you know there's not an idol up on top of that rock. The idols are in the woods, bro. It's in the birdcage. You saw it. I mean, but he doesn't know there's not something else up yeah. there. Or what if he gets his tribe a massive crab and then he's the hero, you know? It's only because he fell that you think it's crazy he was up there. If he had succeeded and came down with some kind of, you know, win for his side, then it would have been a different I'm with story. Brittany. I, I just want to say that I applaud Matthew for going out there and playing the kind of game he wants to play. And that's finding your adventure, whatever that is. On a more somber note, Bruce injured in the opening minutes. He's got all this adrenaline. He's on the beach the sand is in his toes and we're running this first challenge. And, you know, he's a natural coach and a leader and he wants to impress his tribe and he hits his head and we call in medical. And when that happens, Everything changes. That's the most iconic moment in the show, right? You hear you yell, medical, and everybody freezes. What is the moment like? Well, the reason I yell that is, is really just because we have a challenge going, and it, it needs to be fair, so you do want to stop it immediately so that nobody is working on their puzzle or anything like that. That's really the only reason I yell so loud. Medical is in immediately, and at that point, everything changes because medical is now in charge. And there's a I think there's a misunderstanding sometimes that I'm involved in whether a player stays or goes. I have no say. Medical is in charge. The only thing they agree to is that if the person is not in eminent danger, life or death, then they can stay, but they'll monitor them, which is, you know, what happened with Bruce. And what are you thinking in that moment? Yeah, I, I'm thinking he's in good hands. And I'm also just thinking about the storytelling to make sure that the audience can understand what's happening because the doctors often talk in jargon that I don't understand. So my feeling is if I can, if I can understand it, then everyone else can understand it. <laughs> so that's happening. And then the other big question is, 
if he's pulled from the game, how will it impact the game? Can we finish the challenge? Is it going to impact the immunity challenge or tribal council? And I'm thinking about that. So is Matt Van Wagen, an executive producer, Matt Van Wagen, my partner on the show. He's on the side thinking through options as well. So those are the things that are happening from a big picture standpoint. And when this is all happening and Jeff's, you know, going with medical and then the walkies are going crazy. Every other department is alerted knows what's going on, is making sure that we're completely prepped and set up for worst case scenario. In this case, we didn't have it. He did get to go back to the beach and all was good. Then the decision comes later that evening. And anytime you get a phone call at 10 p.m., it's usually not good. And so we all knew we'd been anticipating it. We get out there and it's clear that this journey is ending for this person who sacrificed so much to get out there. I mean, I met Bruce before the pandemic. He's been in our casting process for a long time. He left his wife, he left his kids, he left his job. I mean, he's sitting on a log for most of it, but it's heartbreaking. Good news is, Bruce is okay. I talked with him, we'll share that conversation, and then we'll get into our deep dive, which is, what does it take to get to day one when you then turn your show over to 18 strangers? Be right back. Listen, wearing the same clothes for 26 days straight on Survivor really made me realize the importance of buying high-quality, long-lasting clothes. That's why I love Quince. They have timeless, well-made pieces that last for years and don't go out of style. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves like 100% European linen shirts, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. Buying pieces from Quince means that I don't have to keep buying new clothes every year which is better for my wallet and the environment. I recently got a super chic Italian leather tote from Quince and I'm loving how it looks. The best part about Quince is that by partnering directly with top factories, they're able to keep prices super affordable. I'm talking 50 to 80% cheaper than similar brands. And the other best part is that Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I love that. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com survivor for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash survivor to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com survivor. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Cal Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, then you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate, you're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9 8 Central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount Plus. Bruce, how are you? I am great. How are you? I'm just very excited to be able to talk to you because I think everybody's going to want to know one thing. Are you okay? I am great. Uh, the medical staff, medical staff did a great job. Talk me through what it feels like in those opening moments when your feet hit the sand. Can mm. you explain what the adrenaline rush feels like? That was a culmination of you know 20 plus years of watching Survivor all coming to a head right there. It was it was just, it was euphoric. But I could not believe that I was there. It was just a, one of the greatest moments of my life. So with that energy and that euphoria and that adrenaline coursing through your body, you, you attack the challenge. Do you remember that moment when you hit? When I initially hit, like that was one of the most intense feelings that I've ever had. Do you remember me yelling medical and stopping the challenge? 
No, that I didn't remember, but I but I will tell you this. I do recall waking up, Jeff, and having my head in your hands <laughs> and you holding on to my head. And it was like one of the most awesome situations because I knew that at that moment in time, yes, you're here to run a show and you had nothing but like concern and compassion in regards to me laying there with my head in your hands. And you're like, Bruce, Bruce. And I'm like, hey, Jeff. <laughs> I remember that moment. And I remember when you looked up and and winked at me. And that's when I thought, okay, he's going to be okay. So when you get home and your wife and kids, you reunite, what was that like? <laughs> if I can just recap that really quick, I, I left, we went on the flight home and then I got, you know, I didn't even go home. I went to Newark, New Jersey, and then I took a 40 minute ride and I met my wife and my daughter because my daughter had a tournament in New Jersey for softball. And then ended up leaving there in about six hours to go to my son's tournament, which was in Connecticut. Wait, I, I want to make sure I'm tracking this. You're <laughs> telling me that after all of this that you went through, you went home and went to your kids' sporting events. That is correct. That's what good dads do, man. <laughs> well, you were, you were only out there for about 12 hours, but you were out there. So what about this short-lived adventure did you enjoy the most? Soaking it all in, you know, being in the, in the pregame and seeing everything and, and just touching and feeling and, and just seeing how vibrant everything is. And, and, and then there's also the aspect of missing. I missed my family when I was out there, and that plays a huge part because you now start taking, taking stock in the things that, you hold near and dear to yourself. What a beautiful takeaway that even in your short time away, you are reminded of the importance of your family. That is one of the best aspects of Survivor and only the people who play it ever get to fully understand it. Bruce, you're such a cool human. I'm so happy you were on the show. I just wish it was longer. Thank you for talking to me. I'm just going to say it. If there's ever a point in time that someone calls Bruce up and says, hey, Bruce, you interested? I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I'm already on a plane. <laughs> well, I would expect nothing less, Bruce. Later. And that is why we put Bruce on the show in the first place. I mean, come on. He goes straight to his kid's game. Pretty solid guy. Oh, man, the best. Which got us to thinking. Jay, I need a little music for this. Okay. In this thank you, in the spirit of what Survivor is all about getting up off the couch, leaving your ordinary world behind, your family, your friends, left to fend for yourself in the jungle <laughs> and say yes to adventure. I don't think Bruce got his fair share of Survivor. So, hey, we can, all right, we can kill the music. <laughs> that was fun. So, here's the announcement. We are officially inviting Bruce to play Survivor again. That's so exciting. First player of the new era invited back. It's kind of exciting. It just... Felt like the right call. We don't have a season yet. Lots to coordinate. He's got to leave his job again, has to leave his family and miss those baseball games. But it's an open invitation. So hopefully we'll get Bruce back out on that island let's again. Let's go. All right, let's get into it. Our featured topic, what does it take to get to day one of a new season of Survivor? So just to set the idea for you, if you think of our Survivor schedule, it has three different periods. There's the pre-production of the show where you're planning the show. Then there's the production where you're actually shooting the show. And then there's post-production where you're editing the show. But what's unique about Survivor is these three periods of production overlap 
in one continuous, never-ending flow that has been going for 22 years. And it really starts, Jay, as one season is ending. Brittany's been there. When you wrap a season, first of all, we are exhausted. Walking zombies. <laughs> yes. That's, that's a different show. <laughs> but it's a no, good but really, description. Like, we're walking through the airport after finishing shooting, and there's all of us there. We're dirty. We're tired. We're sick of talking. And we are exactly that walking zombies. And, and everybody has a routine. We all talk about it. So mm. when you get home, what are you going to do? Like, what is your routine, Brittany? Sleep. Right. Sleep. Literally More just sleep. sleep. Lots yeah. of sleep. Yeah. <laughs> Mine is haircut and burger. The mm. haircut makes me feel fresh and the burger and the, 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 the grease and the fat and the fries just makes me feel like I'm home. <laughs> but America. so you think you get home, oh, you know, you take a week off, you, you sort of, you know, get acclimated again back to your life. But editing for what we just shot is already in progress. People are already, Brittany knows, yeah. they're already laying things out and starting to look at structure of scenes, things like that. Organizing footage. Right. Yeah. And then you have casting, which is about to begin again. Yeah, what is that casting process like? I can imagine it takes a little while. It's all it's almost all year. We have an amazing team. Jesse Tannenbaum and his team, they really elevated the bar. And the good of that is that you have these great players. The downside is you have to keep that bar at that same level. So it it takes a lot of work from our team to find the people, the kinds of stories we're looking for, the diversity that we want to represent our show. So it's a it's a long process, but it's everything. I mean, mm. the players, the format is the star and the players are what make it work. Mm. And our history is full of amazing humans who have come to play Survivor. We wouldn't still be here without them. But that's, that's why it's so important. And that's what triggers, you know, personal revelation, my anxiety, which is, you know, always kind of simmering just beneath <laughs> the surface about, you know, can we do it again? Really? After 22 years, you still have anxiety about it? Yeah, I'm having it right now. I have anxiety about this podcast because <laughs> we've, we've never done one, you know, and we want right. it to be good, but I'm sure we're going to listen to this episode and say, okay, let's modify for episode two. Let's adapt. <laughs> Ironically, it's a little bit like one of those sand timers that we give to the players. <laughs> I feel like I get home and I turn my own sand timer over and I start going, oh my God, the sand's already dripping through the hourglass. <laughs> but you're thinking, can we find great players? How are we going to change the game? I have stress dreams. I have this recurring thing where in my head, I go, okay, we have, until we shoot again, I have four months. Okay, that's this many weeks. It's this many days. It's constant. It's a lot of coconuts to drag across the beach. Yeah, exactly. It's a great metaphor. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying it's healthy, but it's just my thought process. So really for me, everything that I read or listen to or witness goes through a survivor filter. Is there anything from this moment we could incorporate <laughs> into our show? What kind of thing? Like when you say you read, like are you reading books? I read books. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like books, books? about, about <laughs> things okay, that pertain I'll take you, to survivor. Okay, this might feel like a detour. We'll see. I'll take you inside my, okay. my process. Okay. The Yay. first thing that I do that's going to sound like it has nothing to do with Survivor is I go on YouTube and I watch real police interrogations. What? I don't know who posts them. I don't know where they come from. They're real. <laughs> it's, the, it's the camera like, up in the corner 
It's the one person, usually it's a man, probably accused of murdering his wife because they always are the, they, we've watched 48 hours. The uh -huh. husband always did it. But you have somebody being interrogated almost always for a murder. And there's usually two detectives in there. And what's happening is, you know, they're guilty. That's why it's been posted on YouTube. So what you're watching is the cat and mouse game. You have these detectives and the approach they take. And some of them, they play it like Columbo, you know, and they, they literally will say things like, gee, I don't even know why you're in here. I guess because you have blonde hair. We'll get you out of here in just a, doggone, I can't even read this report. And, <laughs> and you can see the, the accused is feeling like, oh, this is going to be easy. This guy's a dodo. He's not. He's just playing it this way. Then you have maybe the good cop, bad cop. One guy leaves and the one, the one guy says, hey, man, I know you're in a little trouble here. I really want to help you. We want to get you out of here. You just got to be honest with us. And then the bad cop comes in and says, all right, we're done talking. <laughs> you know, whatever the approach is, you're watching human behavior because they are trying to get the person to tell them what they need. And the person who's in trouble is trying to read how to get out of it. They're desperately lying. And usually it goes like this. It starts with, uh, we'll have you out of here in 10 minutes is no big deal. And it ends with the person saying, I should probably get a lawyer. And so what I'm just looking for is that human behavior. And I know it doesn't seem directly related, but you're just trying to find a way. How can you approximate this kind of a situation in terms of the cat and mouse of telling the truth or telling a lie? It's fascinating that you watch these. You You're know. also very good at playing police officers. Just for <laughs> I also read a lot of negotiation books. The, the one I've really liked lately was by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. And he was an FBI hostage negotiator. But he talks about this idea of splitting the difference in a negotiation is not a good idea. But you're, you're raised to believe that, well, why don't we just meet in the middle? And he kind of walks you through why that isn't good. And if you listen to it, there's a lot in there about how do you, almost how do you trap somebody into getting them where you want them by the series of questions and the statements you may say or ask. So it's the same thing. That might lead to an idea where we have a note and the note says this. And if you can do that, then you get this prize. You know, it can be something as simple as that. So do you do any actual work on Survivor or just <laughs> books and policemen? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, 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 I spend a lot of time, okay, this is equally ridiculous, but I create these scenarios in my head and I role play, like I will write out a script of what might happen or I'll be in my car and I'll literally talk to myself and, and it sounds absurd, but I'm looking for a new way in to a situation. So if I had an idea, I might literally say, Hey, Bill, what is that in your hand? What do you mean? I saw you put something in your pants. What are you talking about? I just keep doing it until I stumble upon the moment of turning point And I go, Oh, that's what we got to get to right there. If we can find that moment, then it doesn't matter who finds the advantage and who knows about it. We will have some decision that has to be made. You're looking at me like none of this makes any sense. No, it makes sense. I'm just wondering if you're sitting in your office talking to yourself the entire period that you're away from the show, or you ever call anybody else to talk about this stuff? <laughs> I do. I do. I call one person. Elon, good question. Elon Lee created this game. He's he's done a lot of things, but the biggest thing is he and his partner, uh, Matthew Enman, created this game called Exploding Kittens, and it's a giant game for families and kids. If you've never played Exploding Kittens, uh, um, it is one of the greatest games ever made. 
and he's now built this really big company. He's a game designer. What's great about Elon is he's the only person in my life that I know that I could call and literally he picks up, yep, and I say, okay, I have a tweak on the prisoner's dilemma. Instead of A, what if we do B? And Elon will very quickly say, yep, that'll work, or B, it won't work, but maybe if you tweak this, it could work. All right, I gotta go, goodbye. So it's this super fast shorthand. You don't have to set it up and say, so we have this show and we do this thing and we force people to make decisions. And he's really smart. Okay, so. I have a question yeah. before we move on. Do you watch other shows like Survivor for do, brainstorming? Do you? Do I? No, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't either. I'll be honest. I'll tell you why I don't. I don't want to see another show doing an idea that we may have in the hopper. Right. And, you know, because then I'd feel like we can't do it or they right. might be doing it better than we thought of doing it. So I like to live in that ignorance is bliss state. I'm the same way. Really? That's, yeah, that's my. That's why I don't do it either. I feel like it limits my brainstorming and I don't want to have any like walls on either side where I feel like I'm going to start feeling like another show or if I don't know what those shows feel like, then I'm just being authentic to Survivor. If you had yeah. said it better than I could have, which is I don't want any limitations. Right, yeah. I right. just want to follow our own path and see where it leads us. And it, and one of the things we're going to talk about repeatedly is we don't think our ideas on Survivor are right. They're not the correct ideas. They're just ideas. We just try them. So often fans get so upset. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. Okay. We didn't know. We're, we're just trying. We're, we're doing the same thing we ask the players to do. We're trying ideas, quote unquote, big moves, and then we're seeing if they work, and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't. And then we modify, and we adapt, and we try it again. Okay, so you're in your office talking to the Exploding Kittens guy, talking about stuff and watching yep. police interrogations. You're in editing. <laughs> yep. Yep. When do people start going back to the island? January. Okay. Our advanced team hits, and that's like a carnival being set up. It's really, it's cool. I say that I'm not there, but <laughs> <laughs> I've um, been there and I can speak to it. It totally is. It's exactly that. So you've got all these departments yeah. that are, you know, setting up and we're on this, this one Island now in Fiji, we've kind of made this our home. Fiji has been really good to us. So you have this base camp that's being built, but you never see it on the show, but it's massive. You have all the production offices, which are the heart of production. You have this runway, this small little runway that we take over this dirt field and on one side is all these tents, housing art department or whatever. And on the other side are more tents. And there's the Marine Department working on the engines for the boat. And you hear all this music playing and you've got supplies coming in on a barge, timber and food. We have catering. Marianne makes our, our head caterer makes 100,000 meals a season for our team. Wow. And our unit department is fixing the roads. Maybe a tree fell down. There's coconuts everywhere. We're setting up our communication with a cell tower so we can talk to each other. It's enormous. You're basically building a city. Yeah. And it's a big family. I think it's worth pointing out. Like, I remember landing on location for, you know, the first time in that season. And you walk in and you're just saying hello and hugging everyone. And everyone's so excited to be there and see each other. And the excitement just builds from there. And what's also happening is... They're already building challenges. That yeah. slide puzzle that we just saw in the premiere was being built months before the players got there. We might not even have cast the show yet. And that speaks to this idea that some people have said to me, I bet you build challenges for the players. You, it takes weeks to build a challenge. We couldn't rig the game if we wanted to. That's amazing. 
And you also have tribal council being built, which is a really big build. And when we talk about the art department, remind me to tell you the story of tribal council 43 and 44. It's a teaser. It's going to blow your mind. One of the coolest things I've ever seen happen. All right. So the next thing is now you got to tell the players they're on the show. This is the most important decision of any season. Who are the 18 people that you're going to let inhabit this world you've been working on for so long? And when you call the players, do you already know what tribes they're going to be on? No, that's the next step. And I'll tell you, it's subjective. We get it right sometimes and we get it wrong sometimes. But what you're trying to do is approximate some fairness based on things like physical strength or height, their IQ. We do give IQ tests and that's not necessarily indicative of anything, but there is a correlation we found between higher IQs and people that are good at puzzles. You know, just the way your brain works. We also have deep personality profiles built on these players as part of our casting process. So that goes into it as well. So then we get the players out there. That's now it's now we're getting into it. You know, the energy is picking up, the excitement's picking up. What's interesting about the players is that they all stay at this place we call Ponderosa. So they're all there. So they're looking and they know who they're going to be playing with, but they're not allowed to talk at all. Wow. So we, yeah, we have monitors that watch them. I'm sure it's very annoying for the players. They can't talk. They can't even get close to each other. Like they, they were social distancing before social distancing was a thing. That's crazy. (laughs) But what they are doing is they're forming first impressions. And a lot of them have notebooks and they'll scribble little things down. They'll watch you notice things that you're doing, what you're eating, you know, what, like what's your attitude. And then they use that when they find out what tribe they're on, because they don't even know what tribe they're on yet. So this is all just part of the game that's already begun. And they come out this early to get acclimated, to settle in, to make sure that you guys have everything set for them, that sort of thing. Yeah, so they're out there about a week ahead of time to do exactly what you said. Get used to the time change, get used to the weather. Some people make decisions about how much food they want to eat each day. Some people pile it on and some people start weaning themselves. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. And there's no right or wrong answer. It's just what's your game plan. So when do you get there? I get there about three days out and I'm able to get there late because of technology and great teams. So everything is happening. I like to hit the ground running. So I land, a car takes me to a little helipad. I get on a helicopter. It's seven minute flight to base camp. I get my cell phone. I get the call sheet. Usually Matt Van Wagenen calls and says, hey, we're doing a test of sweat versus savvy. Stop by the art department. And then we're in a boat heading out. And we're testing the marooning. And what's cool is that the excitement is at an all time high. That carnival that was being built months ago, it's finished. And the rides are done and there's a world of people living together and there's kids everywhere because we've been together so long. Like Brittany, can I share? Yeah, go for it. Brittany met her husband on our show. They have kids as a result of being on our show. That's incredibly common. So much so, just as a sidebar, when Mark Burnett came out to visit in Survivor 40, he had not been to location in years. And he said, this is a big celebration. I want to be there. When he left, we had made this giant banner, huge, and we put it at the top of this big cliff, and the helicopter flew him over it, and the banner said, 20 years, 40 seasons, 60 babies. Thanks for everything, Oh, my God. Those 60 babies were made- 63. I've had three sons. Okay, now it's 63. (laughs) Those babies 
were made from people who met on our show. Wow. That's how big this family is. So when we say family, we don't mean it in terms of television production. We literally mean yeah. family. So it's, it's just a really cool energy. And then you get to the point you've been working to, mm. the marooning. Yeah. And this is where, you know, it's, it's like being at a, a rock concert. I mean, it really is. That morning... And jump in here, Brittany. Yeah. No, I can feel the energy just talking about it. It's because, so Jay, what you have is all of the stuff we just talked about has now been crystallized into this moment that's about to happen. If you could look at it from above, you would see we're at this island. There are boats in the water with camera operators on it. There are drones in the air. We maybe have a helicopter involved. The challenge has been checked and double-checked. All our operators and cameras on the beach are in place. There's lots of radio chatter. I'm making very big decisions like Blue Hat or orange hat. <laughs> and then out of all this sort of quiet chaos, Riley Ranthful, who was our first AD, another success story, started as a dream teamer, now runs our set. Riley will calmly walk over and say, JP, we're good. And that means it's on. The, the players are in the boats heading to us. They're like two miles away, but they're coming toward us. And everything just gets really quiet. You've got 18 strangers on three boats. They're heading toward me. And as they get off that boat, a transfer is happening. We're about to say, here's a year's worth of work, a carefully crafted game designed just for you with unlimited possibilities of what might happen. And only one question, what are you going to do with it? It's it, like I said earlier, it is for me, the riskiest and most exciting part of the format of Survivor is that you turn it over to 18 strangers and it's their show. And now we just watch. And what you saw in episode one is that all of a sudden, all kinds of unexpected things begin to happen. All right, we're going to take a break. Come back with your fan questions and somebody's going to tell me why I suck. Welcome back to On Fire with Jeff Probst. I can't wait to hear what questions you have picked, Jay. <laughs> no pressure. If you have questions for Jeff Probst and you want them answered here live on On Fire with Jeff Probst, you can send an email to survivorshoutout at cbs.com and I will read those emails very carefully and pick a few to read on air. Here's our first one. For going to the bathroom, do you provide porta potties? And for number two, what do the castaways do? Sorry, I just had to go there. From Barry. This is a crazy question that people still think there yeah. are bathrooms. I get asked it every time I tell someone I work on Survivor. Yeah, so let's settle that. There, there are no bathrooms at all out there. There's no porta-potties. There's nothing. I'll give one. I know the aqua dump is there, <laughs> well jam jam poop in the ocean. <laughs> Explain what the aqua dump is, Brittany. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, so the aqua dump, which we've been advised by our medical team, is the the most hygienic way mm -hmm. to handle your business when there are no <laughs> bathrooms. Uh, is essentially what it sounds like. You go in the water and you handle your business mm. and. Then you have the water there to clean yourself. Maybe use some sand. The only thing you have to be aware of is the which direction are you upstream or are you downstream? <laughs> because if, if tide you, is important. Yes, if you poop <laughs> in oh, the yeah. wrong spot, it will end up right back in front of your beach, and that's happened. And then players are like, "Are you kidding me? Mm, it's not you, a way to make a good alliance." No, no. <laughs> the other things players do is we call it Coconut Grove. Yep. 
Yeah. It's sort of a euphemism. It's a term we use to say that's where the bathroom area is, which is basically a hole right. in the ground. Correct. Right? It is exactly that. It's like a... We decide this at the start of the season where this is going to be the area where they go handle their business. And if they're walking there, the cameras will not follow them. Unless there was someone else. Oh, yes. And that sounds ridiculous, but we tell tell them in the front, if you're really just going to the bathroom or you're really just going to change your clothes, obviously we don't want it to be a part of that private situation. But if you go with somebody else, we're going to assume you're talking about the game and now we're going to shoot it. Mm. So that's really the defining line for whether they're really going to the bathroom or not. Don't bring a friend. <laughs> Don't bring a friend. All right, question number two. Are people instructed where to sit during tribal, and how do you determine the order of who votes when? And that comes from John. That's a great question because it speaks to us constantly learning. We used to put the tall people in the back and the short people in the front for the obvious reason. You, you won't block each other. Then somebody said to us, a player said, you know that's unfair. Because if I'm in the back, I can see what's happening in the front. But if I'm in the front, I have no idea if somebody's rolling their eyes or looking at another player. So we've modified that now so that we have some stools that are small, some that are big, so we can put somebody tall in the front if we need to, you know, and make that more fair. In terms of the votes, that's a good question because it probably doesn't always make sense how they would always be in such a perfect order. It's because I take the votes and I go back to this little booth And I look at all of them and I put them in the most dramatic order. And the reason is, if you, let's say you had seven votes, four of them were for you, Jay, and three of them were for Brittany. Rude. And I just happened to pull out (laughs) randomly your four votes. Well, we know with the math that that means you're out, that there's only three left. But now what do I do with these last three votes? I can't read them after you've been voted out. It's not dramatic. So instead, you stack them, Jay, Brittany, Jay, Brittany, Jay, Brittany, one vote left. That's why. You're going home, Jay. No. <laughs> no, we need you. Yeah, please let me stay. Um, I have an idol. As a diehard fan, I have to know, this is question number three. As a diehard fan, I have to know, does Jeff Probst store the torch snuffers somewhere? They're so unique and amazing, and I hope they're preserved. Mary. That is the only thing I take from the show, and I have uh, Adam, who worked in our art department in the very first season, we ended the first show and he had the snuffer and he goes, you want it? And I said, sure, thanks. And then since then, the art department's been nice enough to always give me the snuffer. And they are, now they're, the first one was a stick with half a coconut. That was it. Since then, they've become these works of art. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're stunning. They really are super cool. And I just have them in the garage. All right, this might be my favorite part of the podcast because I know this is going to shock you, Brittany and Jay. There are some Survivor fans that actually don't like me. What? I know. I (laughs) felt it. I know. So we decided to give them a voice with a segment called This Is Why You Suck. This is why you suck. May I please do the honors? Yes, please. (laughs) All right. Jeff, please stop talking every single moment during the challenges. (laughs) I understand that you're the play-by-play, but you're driving everyone nuts, Connie. And a follow-up. 
Has anyone ever been edited out of the show because they turned and asked you to shut the hell up? Okay, first of all, I take issue with you right now because I can see this question (laughs) on your monitor. And and Connie (laughs) says at the end, she says, because you're driving everyone nuts. She then says, all love, though, love the show. But but Jeff, this is not the this is why we love you segment. I'm just saying. (laughs) This is is why you suck. Connie gave me a backhanded slap. It wasn't a full. So... I get it. I really do. Even sometimes when I hear it, I know it drives a lot of people crazy. And I understand the argument. We can see it. We don't need you to tell us. Kind of like sports. You don't need a play-by-play announcer, but it adds a little drama. I'll tell you where it started. In the first season, I didn't talk at all. I didn't know what I was doing. Some people would say, I still don't. (laughs) But we listened to the first episode of the challenge and realized, man, it's really flat. And you can't always tell who's in the lead. So I know I don't need, you know, the argument is, yeah, you can tell us that. Just don't talk all the time. I can't help it. I'm a talker. And I did realize there was a moment in Survivor Thailand where we had a challenge and there were a couple of guys pushing each other around and we all started talking smack to each other. And we left it in the episode and fans said, that's what we want. We want you interacting with them. So that's part of it is that when I'm calling those challenges, I'm also saying, Brittany, dragging it for her tribe, Jay really doing a great job. That's new for us. Hey, I like it when I'm on top. (laughs) (laughs) So that's, that's why that happens. And, and I take the note and if I could edit myself, I will, I'll try. And in terms of Max's question, do we ever edit anybody out who's annoyed with me? No, I love when players play with me. It makes me feel like I'm a part of their game and I like that. But what I'm thinking in my head is, oh, I'm in your head. (laughs) So while you're working on that puzzle and talking to me, somebody else is getting another piece. (laughs) All right, next week on On Fire with Jeff Probst, we're going to take a deep dive into the world of idols and advantages. How do we come up with these ideas? How do we test them? Why are they even in the game? And why are there so many? And we have a new episode of Survivor 44 airing Wednesday. It's a very fun and funny episode. And here's a little rat nibble for next week. Based simply on the next episode, I think you're going to fall in love with one player. So my question is, based only on the information you have from the premiere, who do you think I'm talking about? All right. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate and review it. They keep telling me that's what needs to happen in order for us to get on the map. And don't forget, we have a new episode of Survivor next Wednesday night, 8, 7 central on CBS and Paramount+. Plus. See you next week. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules. Can you shave another day off your sentence? Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS. And now streaming on Paramount+.